Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. What has a year of war with Ukraine been like inside Russia? This is the State of Ukraine from NPR News. NPR correspondent Charles Maines was living in Moscow before Russia's invasion of Ukraine a year ago, and he's one of the few Western journalists who's remained there. He has this report on how life in Russia over the last year has changed. Our story starts on the balcony of an apartment on the sixth floor. It's close to midnight in the outskirts of St. Petersburg. Describe what we're looking at. What we are looking at, um, this is like the spare parts for the night vision. It's a night vision scope to see in the dark, military grade, made in the USSR. And this is the original box. And this is Anton, no surname by request. He's worried he'll end up on a Western travel ban. For Anton is part of an informal volunteer network that provides badly needed equipment to Russian troops in Ukraine, inspired, he tells this American reporter, by a familiar phrase. A thing which Kennedy said, don't ask what a country can do for you, ask yourself what you can do for your country. What Anton can do is try and help a Russian military campaign in trouble. The original invasion, poorly planned, he says, the mobilization of additional troops, a total mess. But Anton says the second guessing, that's all for another time, because he has no choice but to support his troops now that they're in Ukraine. Is it a good war or is it a bad war? The main thing is not to try to change global things in our country right now. Because if you will start this discussion now, you will lose. A year ago, in the days before the Russian invasion, I was in Rostov-on-Don, in southern Russia, reporting near the Ukrainian border. What struck me then, and still does, is just how many people were convinced war with Ukraine was impossible. Andrei Rosli, the local instructor at Rostov-on-Don's journalism school, told me the very idea was just media hype. I can't name one friend who's even remotely worried about a war, he told me. If there was a military buildup, we would have seen it. But some did see it, or at least hints of it. One woman told me she'd seen the military moving tanks and artillery along the roads as she'd make trips to the small hometown she grew up in, nestled along the Ukrainian border. I think something's going to happen, she said. The next day, President Putin announced the invasion had begun. And life in Russia began to change. The Kremlin quickly criminalized anything that contradicted the government line, even calling the war an actual war was banned. With journalists facing years of prison under new censorship laws, the vast majority of Russia's independent media scene shut down. One of the early victims, the echo of Moscow radio station, in the capital. A beacon of free speech dating to its launch in the latter years of the USSR, Echo, as Russians call it, found its signal cut mid-broadcast. Longtime Echo listener Anatoly Strunin told me he found he kept tuning in, out of sheer habit, to Echo's spot on the FM dial, until the white noise became a black hiss. 
Echo's frequency had been given to a state broadcaster. What's left on the dial makes me want to ratch, Strunin told me. They talk all the time, but they don't say what needs to be said. Today, propaganda blankets the airwaves and extols the conflict as a war of necessity to defend Russian speakers in Ukraine or protect the homeland. And a vast majority of Russians, some 80 percent according to polls, agree. If there is a support of war, the state would not probably introduce this new draconian laws. But Ivan Kurila, an academic researcher in St. Petersburg, is among those who argue Russian views on the war are far more circumspect. He notes, for example, that there was no crackdown after the annexation of Crimea in 2014, because whatever you or he might think of it, it was relatively popular with the public. And Kurila says that's not the case now. Western media and Western politicians' first reaction was to accept the Russian propaganda thesis that all the Russians support the war, this is Russia's war against Ukraine, which is plain wrong. I mean, that is a Kremlin war, not anything that the Russian people wanted. Back in the fall, I went to check in on a protest against the draft in Moscow. It turned out to be one of the last. Riot troops were positioned well in advance. Agents in street clothes filmed everyone using small cameras. I approached a young Russian guy watching from the sidelines to ask what he thought about what was happening. As he started to answer, police approached and took him away. I never caught his name. So everybody I seem to talk to is getting arrested or being filmed. So I think we will wrap this up soon. Meanwhile, it seemed everywhere you looked, people were leaving the country. I can't do like seeing about the flowers and butterflies when I think about the people dying from the bombs. Svetlana Mitveva is from the northern city of Murmansk. She also fronts the band Wooden Whales, a bright spot in Russia's indie music scene in recent years. When we met in Moscow, she was about to join her husband, who fled the draft for Kazakhstan, one of hundreds of thousands of Russians who've left the country over the past year, and not because she or they wanted to. For me, the war was like this very angry grandpa sitting, and he feels like uh, everyone hates him, and he decided to like make it worse. And yeah, for me, it was like a very the cheating. Cheating, she said, because their future had been stolen by a country and leader, increasingly obsessed with the past. From the very beginning of the war, President Putin has sought to draw direct parallels between the Soviet Union's victory over Nazi Germany in World War II and the current military campaign against so-called neo-Nazis in present-day Ukraine. In May, I watched the parade on Red Square for Victory Day, when Russia honors the some 20 million Soviets, including Ukrainians, who died fighting Hitler's armies. Tanks and soldiers paraded past the Kremlin, and President Putin's voice echoed across the square. It felt like one of the most important events that had ever happened was happening all over again, only in front of your eyes. We have already had once uh, this victory in uh, 1945. 
Andrei Nikolaevich, an older Moscovite I met there, told me the Nazis have returned. And we expect peace, but peace should be with uh, victory over the Nazis, new Nazis who occupied all the country of uh, Ukraine. Do you worry about Russian forces killing other people, though, like innocent civilians, too? No, it's uh, all fake, because uh, we don't kill human beings that are peaceful. We kill only the soldiers who are struggling against our country, against Russia. Our story ends where it started, in St. Petersburg, Putin's hometown. This time, in the studio of the artist, Elena Osipova. Osipova was born in the city, just months after the Soviet victory in 1945, back when it was called Leningrad. She lost family members to the Nazi siege of the city. Like the people I saw in Red Square, Osipova had never forgotten the war. But she had drawn different conclusions. How could Russia, which suffered more than anyone in World War II, attack another country, she asked. Osipova is well-known locally. Her participation in anti-government protests, usually holding political artworks of her own making, had earned her the nickname The Conscience of St. Petersburg. Russia is not Putin, the conscience tells me. Her country, she said, gifted the world ideas, art, science, and literature. In Osipova's paintings, Russia is a bird, capable of soaring to fantastic heights, but one that after a year of war and repression, she now shows as wounded and struggling to find its way. Charles Maine's NPR News, St. Petersburg. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back to this feed for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.